Habakkuk 2, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like shell, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up and taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. Because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that people toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beast by which you terrified them, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This, this is, the, is word the word of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to Habakkuk once again to hear you speak to him and through him, Lord, may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May your word conquer our hearts. May your word reprove us where we need to be corrected. And may you conquer unbelief in every heart here as we hear you speak. Through your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're back in the book of Habakkuk this morning, continuing a series that we're calling 
trusting God in troubled times. Trusting God in troubled times. This past Friday, you may have noticed, marked the one-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine, which has brought troubled times to Europe and beyond. Churches there struggling to care for those impacted by war. Families broken up, scattered as refugees. Fathers, sons sent off to fight to defend their home in a time of invasion. And were Ukraine to lose this war, as conflict intensifies in the spring, it would mean more trouble still for them and for us, for Europe, for the rest of the world. And while it's been troubled times for Europe, it has also been troubled times in the Near East. The death toll from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria continues to rise toward 50,000 as people are still working to uncover bodies buried in the rubble in order to grieve before burying them again. It's troubled times in the Near East. And it's troubled times nearer to home in Haiti. I shared this past Wednesday an update, an urgent update from one of our mission partners there, Pastor Joseph, that all the roads into his town have been cut off by the gangs. And after the death of six policemen, the rest of the police have abandoned their stations. Lawlessness is, at the moment, largely unchecked. People are afraid. People are afraid to sleep in their own homes. People are looking to Pastor Joseph and to the churches for help and for hope. How do you trust God in such times? Pastor Joseph said, we've reached the point that that's really all we can do. All we have left is prayer. As we look at the situation in Habakkuk chapter 2, we see that some troubled times are inevitable for all of us. Jesus said that it's inevitable that stumbling blocks would come. Jesus says it can't be avoided. It's inevitable. Trouble times, troubled times will come. We will see it. We will face it. Trouble is inevitable and unavoidable in a world that is broken and marred by sin. Can't get away from it. But trouble is not the only inevitable thing that comes into our lives. As we look at Habakkuk chapter 2, he gives us a window into what else will come. What else is inevitable? What things must come? Here is the first thing, first inevitable thing that's coming. We see it in verse 1. Reproof is coming. If you're taking notes this morning, this is point number one, heading number one. Reproof is coming, verse 1. Look at verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he, the Lord, will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. When I am reproved. Remember, chapter 1 of Habakkuk essentially reads like the prophet's personal prayer journal, where he's pouring out his heart to God, his complaint to God, that this people I'm surrounded by, who are called by your name, they're bad. They're violent. They're so evil. They're so contentious. What are you going to do about it, Lord? 
You remember this from chapter 1? What are you going to do about it? What's the solution here, Lord? And we saw in chapter 1 that God answered Habakkuk's complaint, but it was not the answer that Habakkuk wanted. God said, I'm going to do something in your day. You would not believe it, even if you were told. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, and I, that cruel and fierce nation, and I'm going to send them. And they are going to carry my people away into exile. And what's Habakkuk's response? He is shocked. He is shocked to hear God's word. And says, no, Lord, that's not who you are. Don't do that. No, that's not how you work. Remember this? Chapter 1, verse 13. Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? That's what's happening when you send the Babylonians against us. Those who are more wicked than we are will devour us. How can you do this, Lord? God's answer to the prophet's original complaint leads to Habakkuk to complain yet again. But before God answers for a second time, Habakkuk already knows what kind of answer is coming. He knows the, this kind of answer is inevitable. Verse 1, he knows that I'm gonna, I'm, the Lord's going to speak. I'll keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Habakkuk knows that reproof is coming. God is right. He is wrong. And the prophet is waiting to see how God will correct him, how God will reprove him to show him how Habakkuk has got it wrong. It was C.S. Lewis who said this about arguing with God. Lewis said, there is a difficulty about disagreeing with God. He is the source from which all your reasoning power comes. You could not be right and he be wrong any more than a stream can rise higher than its own source. That's a beautiful image, isn't it? That's a powerful image. You cannot be right and he be wrong any more than a stream could go uphill. A, a stream can't rise higher than its own source. So, where we disagree with God, expect this. Reproof is coming. Reproof is inevitable. Reproof is coming where we've got it wrong. Habakkuk, God's prophet, has gotten it wrong. You need to know that you've got it wrong in some things. Habakkuk, God's prophet, got it wrong. You've got it wrong in some places. We need to be willing and ready to receive God's correction, God's reproof. Reproof is coming. The world has gotten many things wrong, but reproof is coming. One day, I believe, one day, all of sin's deception will be stripped away forever. Like a curtain pulled back. Or like perspective-distorting glasses removed from our eyes. I can't see you now. Uh, it may be more like our distorted vision, which my vision is distorted, uh, we finally get the true lenses to see the world as it really is. Then we will see things as God sees them, rightly, clearly, 
correctly. But until that day, we better be humble enough to admit that we don't see things clearly all the time. We don't see things clearly now. We see as in a mirror dimly. We can get it wrong. And we stand in need, all of us, we stand in need of some correction, of some reproof. Reproof is coming. Reproof is coming for us all. It is inevitable. So, the best thing we can do is to listen to the advanced copy of the reproof. You have it there in your hands. God has spoken. He does reprove us even now, correcting the way we see the world. As we seek to realign our hearts and our affections, we seek to do it with what God has revealed to be his heart and his affection. Reproof is coming. That's the first thing we see in Habakkuk. Here's a second thing that's inevitable. Reproof is coming, verse 1. Also, recompense is coming. Recompense is coming. We see that in verses 2 and 3 and in verses 5 through 8. Recompense is coming. Look at verse 2. Then the Lord answered and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. What is certainly coming? What will not delay? Answer, it's recompense. It's the recompense for evil done. Look at verse 5, makes it clear. Verse 5, furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. He is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. This is what the Babylonians are doing. This is what they're going to do to Israel. They're collecting all nations to themselves and their treasures. But verse 6, recompense is coming. Will not all these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insuations against him, and say, woe to him who increases what is not his? For how long? And makes himself rich with loans. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? And those who collect from you awaken. Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you looted many nations, all the remainders of the people will loot you. Because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. Recompense is coming, God tells Habakkuk. It's inevitable. It's inevitable for Babylon, the nation who took Judah into exile and plundered all the surrounding nations, recompense is coming for them. And it did come. The Babylonians would be plundered themselves just as they plundered others. Babylon would be looted just as they looted Jerusalem and the other nations around them. Recompense is inevitable. Recompense is coming because God is just. He is just. Evil may prosper for a time, but it is like a man who makes himself rich with loans. That's not a good idea, is it? It all has to be paid for. It all has to be paid back. The inevitable day is coming when the loans will be called in. That's the day when evil, all that it prospered, will be no more. 
The good things, evil twisted, were a loan. A loan that will be called in. The day is coming when God will right every wrong that's on the ledger. Everything taken into account. He will demand a recompense for every evil. That's what the great day, the day of judgment, is all about. It's about recompense. Just repayment for the loan. Giving to each their due. That's what justice is. God tells Habakkuk that evil is living on borrowed time. That's really good news. Evil is living on borrowed time. Like a man who makes himself rich on loans, a day of reckoning and recompense is coming. The loan is of a life spent doing evil, will be called in, and recompense will have to be made. I need to know this. You need to know this. You need to realize this. That this is what history is marching toward. History is marching toward a day. A day of recompense. A day of settling accounts. A day of setting all things right forever. It's inevitable. And woe to those who find themselves without a covering. Without an advocate. Without a guarantor on that day. A day of recompense without a savior to mediate your case will be a day of woe. A day of woe. And that's the third inevitable thing Habakkuk is told by God. This, he's told this, woe is coming. Woe is coming. We see this first in verses 9 through 12. And then again in verses 15 through 17. And then once more in verses 18 through 19. Woe is coming. That's our third point. Woe is coming. Look at verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You've devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and the rafter will answer it from the framework. God announces woe. Over those who, through evil, seek to gain their security. Through evil means seek to gain security. They manipulate and contrive and dominate others so that they may build their nest on high. In a safe place. Safe and secure place. We see this happening. You. You climb the ladder. Stabbing others in the back along the way. Making shady deals. Until your wealth and power make you feel untouchable. I'm secure. You wronged others to get there, but God says you are also wronging yourself. You are sinning against yourself. In trying to have your life and, and save your life and multiply your comforts, you miss the mark. That's what sin is. You miss the mark on the meaning, the true meaning of life. You fell short of the love you owed to others. You abused God's patience towards you. You twisted the good gifts of God, the intelligence, ability. You twisted those good gifts into instruments of unrighteousness. Like a man who twists and beats his plowshare into a sword. You've twisted the good gifts. You built cities. You built walls around your life. 
but you did it over the broken bodies of others. People you've pushed around and manipulated to your advantage. To all this, God says, woe to you. Woe to you. I see it all. Woe to you. The Lord continues. Look at verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbor drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now, Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup of the Lord's right hand will, will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrify them, because the, of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. God pronounces woe on Babylon for what they've done, for the destruction They brought to a neighbor, to Lebanon, including the devastation of its wildlife, its beast. Yes, God sees and cares about the animals as well. This is his world that's being marred, after all. These are his beasts that are senselessly being slaughtered. God sees, he cares. God cares when we devise evil plans, plans to control and manipulate one another, to control and manipulate our neighbors, when our words and actions are like venom intended to weaken our neighbor, that we might have our own way, that we might win that dispute about the property line or the fence. God sees, and he says, that victory that you just had over them, that will be your disgrace in the end. Not your honor, it'll be your disgrace. From the Lord's hand at judgment, you will drink from the same cup that you served others in this life. By your standard of measure, Jesus said, it'll be measured back to you. On that day, much of what people thought, much of what you thought was your pride and glory in this world will prove to be an utter disgrace, God tells Habakkuk. Many of the achievements in this life you were the proudest of will actually be eternal shame. Woe is coming. Woe is coming for all those who raise up idols in God's rightful place. That's verses 18 and 19. Look at that. Verse 18. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he's fashioned a speechless idol. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise. And this, and that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. God pronounces woe on every idol and every idol maker. The Babylonians were certainly idolaters. They were certainly idol makers. You can go to the Louvre in Paris today and see them. See their gold and silver handiwork. But not every idol is crafted with gold and silver, is it? Most idols are not. Most idols are crafted not by human hands, but by the human heart. 
A famous French theologian once described the human heart as an idle factory. That's what our hearts are, churning out one idol after another. We are constantly producing false gods, constantly producing idols, things that take God's rightful place in our hearts and in our affections, things that we care about more than God. Anything you care about more than God, that is an idol in his place. We make idols out of many things, out of many good things. We make idols out of things like the desire for success. That's what drives us and, and motivates us. Uh, we, we build our lives upon a desire for success, the pursuit of wealth, the praise of others, the applause. That's what we live for, our need for security. We live for that romantic relationship can become an idol. Good things like children and sports and spouse become idols when they become our ultimate thing. Whenever something takes first place, God's place in our hearts, it becomes an idol. And every time we set up an idol, it is like an act of treason. We are dethroning the rightful king and setting up in our hearts a pretender to the throne. And we do this again and again and again. God pronounces woe upon those guilty of cosmic treason, of idolatry. Woe upon those who have misplaced their heart's affections. Woe upon those who have misplaced their heart's worship, who have missed out on the central purpose for which they've been made, to know God and to joyfully live under his good reign. They've missed out on life's real purpose because they've dethroned the king and enthroned an idol in his place. And life wasn't designed to work that way. Happiness wasn't designed to come that way. There's another quote from C.S. Lewis. Lewis said, It is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. Just no good. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. God can't give you lasting happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. Woe to those who spend their life seeking what is not there, looking continually for what cannot be found. God says in Jeremiah that this is what my people have done. My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And then they've gone and hewed out for themselves broken cisterns, holes in the ground that can hold no water. That's a powerful image. God says, I'm the fountain. Come to me freely, drink and live. But instead, we said, no, we will not have it so. We will have it our own way. We will seek happiness over here, digging out holes, drinking mud through a straw. That is what we do. That is what the world has done. This is the nature of evil. This is the nature of idolatry, to turn away from the fountain of life and joy and real happiness, to search for these things in all the wrong places. 
woe is coming. It's inevitable. And because people give themselves to these things, here is another thing that is inevitable. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that these people toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? Here's another thing that's inevitable. Futility. Futility is coming. That's point number four. Futility is coming. Futility is coming according to verse 13. If people are giving themselves to things that will bring them woe, then God is just and God is even gracious to make them feel the futility of life. Again, verse 13. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people toil for fire, for basic things? Nations grow weary for nothing. Would God make it where our efforts, all our efforts feel futile and normal life feels like a struggle? Would God do that, you ask? You bet he would. And he would be gracious in doing so if it awakens people to the path of woe that they are on before a day of recompense comes. Because, realize this, church, a lot of the idols that people today give themselves to, the pursuit of youth and beauty, the pursuit of wealth and power, the pursuit of identity based on sexuality and other things, all these things contain within themselves the seeds of their own destruction. They are idols with no breath inside of them. They are man-made things, and they are hollow. You, church, have the task of being there to pick up the pieces when the idols prove themselves to be false. When the gold and silver tarnishes. When the false altar that they burn their sacrifices at burns them. You are to be there to pick up the pieces. It's your task to be there full of unconditional love and compassion and pointing people to a glory that is greater, to a gospel that transforms the heart, to a Savior who drank that cup of woe that they had mixed for themselves. Because this is also an inevitable reality. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here's a fifth and final truth from Habakkuk chapter 2. Global worship is coming. Global worship is coming. Verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. No amount of reproof, no amount of idolatry, no amount of woe deserved can stop verse 14 from happening. It is going to happen. The earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the glory of God, like the waters cover the sea. In the Avengers movies, it was Thanos who declared that he was inevitable, emptying the universe of half its population. In the Bible, God says that this is inevitable. Not the emptying of the universe, but the filling of the universe with a knowledge of his glory. This 
is coming. And no power of hell, no scheme of man can stop it. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth just as the waters cover the sea. The prophet Isaiah foretold of a day that is coming. He said this in Isaiah 25. says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of marrow, and refined aged wine. There's a lot of wine there. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering, which is over all peoples, even the veil, which is stretched over all nations. And he will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. When Jesus died, the veil was torn in two. The veil into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, was torn in two. The veil that separated us in our sin from a holy God. Isaiah says that the veil that separates us from God will one day be torn apart forever. God himself will swallow it up as he comes to dwell with us and fill the earth with his glory. Recompensing us for every tear and every trial. This is inevitable. This day is coming. And because this day is coming, only one thing is important today. Only one thing. If you're paying close attention, you notice that there is only one verse in this chapter that we haven't covered yet. Only one verse. Which one? Verse 4. Look at verse 4. Here is one, here is the only thing that is important today. Verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. I want you to know that this one verse in Habakkuk literally changed the course of history. And if it's true, it has changed the eternal destiny of untold millions who have understood it. This one verse in Habakkuk is what the Apostle Paul quotes in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. These words, but the righteous will live by faith. These very words were what God used to turn on its head the life of a German monk named Martin Luther, who in turn turned Europe on its head through the Reformation's rediscovery of this all-important truth, that real righteousness, the righteousness that makes us right with God, does not come through our performance, does not come through our works, does not come through us being religious. The real righteousness we need comes only through faith in the performance of another. Faith in Christ. As we see this great truth, we see it here in its original context, we see God telling Habakkuk 
that there are two ways to live, only two ways to live. There are two paths in life that are diametrically opposed to one another. First, there is the way of human pride. Look again, verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. This pride, in verse 4, can just as easily be a religious pride as it can be an irreligious one. It can be a pride of the Pharisee. Remember the, the Pharisees in Jesus' story in, in the uh, tabernacle, in the synagogue praying? Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this sinner over here. <laughs> right? I, I pray and I tithe and I fast. I do all these good things. Lord, thank you. I'm such a great person. And the, the, the tax collector, the sinner, he's beating his breast. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Shocking thing is, Jesus says, it's that man, the sinner who walks away right with God, not the one who thought he was good, not the one who did all the good things, not the one who had the performance. It's the one who didn't have the performance that walks away right with God. This kind of pride can be a religious pride very easily. But this can also be the pride of the modern secularist who thinks, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. Unlike those religious nuts over there, I am good for goodness sake. I, I'm good enough. At least I try. I try more than most. Notice that both a religious and an irreligious pride are based in the same thing. They're based in performance. Their performance. They appear to themselves as better than others. Or at least not as bad as that guy over there. I can make an excuse for myself because I'm, I'm better than him. But whether we are filled with a religious pride or an irreligious one, God's word still rings true. Whatever the source of our pride, his soul is not right within him. The proud one, his soul is not right. The, the proud will one day have to stand before God and be judged. Judged based on their own religious or irreligious performance. However flawless it might have seemed in their own eyes, Reproof is coming. Woe is coming. When God offered them a savior, they looked at the cross like they looked at the fountain and said, no, no, I'll do it my own way. I'll, I'll build up a righteousness of my own, a goodness of my own. I'll stand on my own performance, thank you. I'll be my own functional savior. I'll drink from my own well. They may not realize now that this is what their conduct was saying but they will realize it on the great day of God's recompense. They'll be confronted with their pride. They'll realize that their soul was not right. That their soul doesn't have a leg to stand on. Their life's performance was not enough. Hear me now. Don't let that be you. Please, please. Don't let that be you on the last day. Living with a Pharisee's pride only to realize it when it's too late. Because there is another way. There is another way. There is only one other way. Only one true way for your soul to be right with God. Verse 4 
but the righteous will live by faith. Here is the great discovery. Here is the truth that struck Martin Luther like lightning and changed the history of the world. The righteousness that our soul needs to be right with God doesn't come through our performance. It doesn't come through our rule keeping. It doesn't come through our good works. The righteousness that our soul needs to stand blameless before God comes through faith and faith alone. Faith in the performance of another for us. Faith in the death and resurrection of God's Son for us. The righteous man actually gets his righteousness, not by the good things he's done, but by faith in the good Savior that he has embraced. This is the good news of the gospel. Preached beforehand to Habakkuk. It's this. Real righteousness doesn't come from within through our religious performance. It comes from without. Through faith in Jesus' perfect performance for us. The the righteous man will live in this life and will stand before God in the next on the basis of his faith. Faith in the Savior God has provided. Because there are only two options to live on how to live, really. Only two ways. Either we believe in our own goodness, that it'll be enough for God in the end, or we believe in God's Savior. That Jesus will be enough. We sang about it this morning. Christ is enough. He will be enough for us in the end. If we go down the road of trusting our own performance, it will lead to pride. And our soul will not be right within us. And maybe that's the place to test yourself this morning. Does my religion or irreligion produce pride in me? Am I really trusting in my own performance? Which explains so much about my pride. Or am I trusting completely in Christ's performance for me? Nothing, no price in my hands do I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. When the waters of life get choppy, whose performance do you cling to? Your own or your Savior's. There are only two ways to live, according to Habakkuk. The way of pride and the way of faith in God's Savior. There are only two ways to live. But there is only one thing that will get us through troubled times. Only one thing that will redeem all of the pain and sorrow and loss. God gives the answer to Habakkuk. How do you live in troubled times? Answer, you live by faith. You live by faith. Let's live by faith, trusting in our God through troubled times. Let's pray. Father, may our hearts respond rightly, appropriately to the word we've just heard. It comes as a wake-up call to some that there are two ways to live 
One is a road that leads, in, in pride, leads to destruction. The other is a road that leads to humbling ourselves and embracing completely a Savior whose performance stands for us. May we see that more clearly than we ever have this morning. And may we despair and despise our own performance and joyfully embrace Jesus and all that he is for us, a righteousness not our own, that we receive by faith. Lord, may we know this is coming. It's inevitable that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. May we rejoice now that that day is coming. And may we experience a foretaste of it now as we live and walk by faith, not by sight. We ask this as the response of our hearts together this morning. You would do it in us, work this in us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.